Father, we do lift up our team and thank you for those people, Lord, that are volunteering to go. And I pray right now for all of the, the just the physical, logistical things they're trying to work out as they're packing things and, and putting uh, material and different things together for the, for the trip. And Lord, just bless them. As, then as they cross the border, we pray for that, that ease of crossing. I know at times it can get real difficult taking things into Mexico. So Lord, we pray for just open borders and that they would be blessed as they go in and, and keep them safe on the road and uh, safe travel. And then, God, we ask that right now you would begin preparing hearts for the people there in Kino Bay. Lord, for the church that we're going to come alongside, and then for those in the community who don't know you, Lord, I pray that you would open up hearts and, and ways for the team to minister. Lord, I know they've got projects to do and things to do, but God, we, we also know you're going to do above and beyond that. So, Lord, use those people in a mighty way and bring them home safely. And today, as we look at your word, God, we, we ask that, Lord, you would have your word penetrate deep in our hearts. God, I pray that we would come away from here today with a greater understanding of God just exactly how much you love us and how much you care for us. And God, that we would be strengthened in our faith, encouraged in our walks, and that we would be people, God, who exalt our Lord above everything else. So bless this time, God, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I know we've been spending, we spent a couple time, couple weeks in James, kind of looking at, we left off here in, in Galatians where, where uh, Paul was comparing the law and grace and talking about blessing coming through Abraham. Then we went to James, and James talked to us about the tongue and about wisdom, godly wisdom versus worldly wisdom. And now we're back because here's the thing. I think sometimes when you're in James, some people can tend to get a, legal, a little legalistic. I personally do not believe James was legalistic. I don't believe that book is, but I know that it can influence us that way and we can go that direction. So it's, for me, it's always good to come back to Galatians and, and get that perspective and kind of bring things back and get an understanding. Number one, and we're gonna look at today, James and Galatians do not contradict each other. They go hand in hand. But that whole idea of legalism I think if we're all really, quote, gut check on us, deep down inside, we all have a tinge of legalism. And we may not, listen, it may not be about the law or, you know, the Old Testament 600, but we have, we have these things that, you know, if somebody isn't doing this, how can they call themselves a Christian? Or if they don't, you know, do our way and our thinking, we kind of tend to get to that. And we have to be careful of that. I believe one reason it so draws us, well, I wrote down three reasons why I think it, it kind of pulls us in, this whole thing kind of pulls us in. One, number one, legalism appeals to the flesh. Our flesh, listen, our natural man loves laws and regulations so we can say, I met this, therefore I'm okay because I've done this, and we like that. And on the other side is, hey, you gotta walk by faith. And walking by faith is hard, it's difficult. Pastor Chuck used to always say, Pastor Chuck Smith always said, walking by faith is hard because if it's easy, everybody would be doing it. 
but it's difficult. So our flesh is drawn that way. Our natural man wants to go that way. And then number two, legalism also appeals to our senses. Again, it's, it's something that, hey, we can see, we can feel, we can touch. If you put up all of these rules, regulations, and, and you know, some places have icons, some places have statues and all of these things, hey, it appeals to that. And then you think, that's right. And walking by faith, doesn't, our senses don't get involved. Again, it's walking by faith. And the last thing, the last thing I wrote down is it appeals to us because we can compare ourselves to somebody else. We can look at somebody else and go, well, look at them. They're not very spiritual. The bad thing is someone's looking at you saying the same thing. You know, there's always somebody worse than you, and there's always somebody better than you. So that's the draw. And Paul understands that, and Paul knows what's going on. So he's writing to this group of believers. Remember, we're, we're talking, whether we're talking James or whether we're talking Galatians, they're writing to people who are doing life, who are doing this thing called church, and they're, they're walking through, and they're, they're, hey, they're doing the best they can. And they're getting derailed, especially in Galatia. Man, they've got these people coming in saying, we've got it together and you need to follow what we're doing. And we're all about the law, the Old Testament law. And, and if you keep that, you can be a real Christian, not a pretend Christian like Paul is saying, but you can be a real Christian and, get this, and a child of Abraham. So now Paul, listen, Paul, when we left off last time, said at the end of verse nine, verse nine, he says, so then those who are our faith are blessed with believing Abraham. He's bringing Abraham into the conversation because every Jew believes that Abraham is their father. Oftentimes you'll hear a Jew call him grandfather. I mean, they're that bonded to Abraham. So Paul's saying, okay, you wanna talk about Abraham? We're gonna do that, but first, Let's settle this issue of the law. And let's talk about the law. So he begins in verse 10, and he says, for as many as are of the works of the law. In other words, here's what he's saying. If you're relying on the law, so kind of keep that in mind. If you're relying on the law, some of your translations say it that way. If you're relying on the law, you are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Paul is going to quote the Old Testament four times in this section. Here he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 27. Now, who's he battling? People who are standing on the Old Testament. And yeah, you know, obviously he didn't have the New Testament to quote. But he's giving them scripture. Saints, if you're going to stand on something you better have scripture to back it up. Don't just kind of say, this is what we do because it's always what we've done or we do it this way. Here's what Paul's saying. Those guys are wrong, why? Because they don't understand scripture because here's what scripture says. And he quotes, in, and, and basically in Deuteronomy chapter 27, it says, hey, you're cursed if you do not continue in all things that are written in the book of the law and do them. You gotta do it all. Remember last uh, two weeks ago, James, what did James say? If you break one of the laws, you broke them all. So James and Paul agree on this point. And Paul's saying, you either gotta do it all or none. And we need to understand something. The whole idea of the law, the law was never given to reward. Even, hey, even in our culture, the law doesn't reward you. The law penalizes you. 
I have never had the government governor stop by my house and say, hey, Pat, man, I really appreciate the fact that you haven't broken any laws this year. Thank you so much. I have had instances where I've gotten in trouble for breaking laws, and they tend to visit you, and it's not as pleasant. So the law, listen, and we need to understand that the law penalizes The law never rewards, and faith gives life. We might put it this way, and here's Paul's point this morning. The law curses, faith blesses. Now, when you just look at that simply, which one do you want to be on? I mean, that's like a duh, right? That's like a no-brainer. Well, I don't want to be cursed, so I don't want to do that. And so he's laying all that out. Oh, and he goes a little bit further in, in verse 11. He says, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident for the just shall live by faith. Habakkuk chapter two. And he's letting us know once again, hey, it's not the law, it's by faith. It's interesting, that is quoted in Romans uh, chapter, uh, uh, Romans chapter one, it's quoted in, in Hebrews the same passage, and, but each one emphasizes a little bit different. Romans emphasizes the just. Here Paul emphasizes live, and Hebrews em- emphasizes faith. But they're quoting the same passage out of Habakkuk, letting us know something. Hey, the only way, the only way we're going to do well and hear those words that we sang this morning, well done, is by walking by faith. Not by making a set of rules that you keep. Not by, not by making some standard that you're trying to hold everyone accountable to and bring in. That is legalism. And when we begin to do that, man, we are going to get in trouble. And you're not going to hear those words because, number one, you're going to start breaking those things. And you start messing up. So, the just shall live by faith. And then he says in verse 12, yet the law is not of faith. But the man who does them shall live by them. Leviticus chapter 18. Do you get his point? If you're going to be a legalist, you got to do the whole thing. And one of the things that cracks me up in, in our generation, in our, our time period, are those who uh, claim to be Sabbatarians. By Sabbatarians, they say they keep the Sabbath. Merely because they worship on Saturday. And they say, the rest of us, we're horrible people because we don't worship on Saturday. And, you know, whenever I dialogue with those people, I always tell them, no, you're not a good Sabbatarian. And then they get uptight. Yes, I am. I said, no, you're not. Yes, I am. I said, no, you're not. And I said, number one, you're like breaking all kinds of Sabbath laws, just like talking to me today, right? Just doing these things. But number two, do you, know, do you understand the whole Sabbath law? Every six years, you have to take a year off. Does anybody do that today? Now, here's the thing. The Jews like blew it and and broke that law all the time. I'm thinking, wouldn't it be a blessing? Wouldn't it be a blessing if you got hired on a job and they go, hey, every six years, just take a year off. You know what, as a matter of fact, that sixth year, I'm gonna pay you double so you'll have the money to last through that seventh year. Woohoo! right? But people don't keep that. So those people who, who think that, and here's, here's what they're doing, they're those legalists again. And they're trying to say they're doing something when they're not, and here again in this simple part, he says, hey, if you do them, you're gonna live by them. If you're gonna do it, you're gonna keep it all, 
And as I've mentioned many times, there's 613 laws. That's a lot to keep track of. I've mentioned it several times. We don't even do well with 10. Actually, we don't even do well with the two. We don't even do well with one. So here's, he's laying all of that out and letting him know. And he's using Old Testament passages and he's saying, here's the problem. Now, as he brings up the problem, now comes, listen, now comes the reality and the truth in verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. You know, Paul could just stop right there and that's, that's amazing, isn't it? Christ has redeemed us. He's bought us, he's purchased us. That's a, that's a, that's a, a, a business term. Christ has taken us out of that and redeemed us from that. And you and I need to understand, listen, man, when he says that, I don't know about you guys, but I read that and I go, yes. Because I don't do well on the other side. And I've told you guys before, I was, I was a legalist for a while. It was, it was ugly. When I first got saved, I, got, I was so intense and I wanted to grow and I wanted to understand and, and, and I began to get into the word and, and read things and, and I would begin to misinterpret them, although I thought I was correctly interpreting them and everybody else was wrong. And I began to apply them to my life and apply them to our family and you know, here's the thing I, I, I found out, the more legalist you get, the less uh, uh, assurance you have of getting to heaven. I was pretty sure I was going to go to heaven. Pretty sure I was going to heaven. I wasn't sure about anybody else. I kind of thought heaven was going to be me and Jesus. <laughs> Even my poor wife, you know, I used to say, honey, you got to step it up, man, if you're going to go to heaven. I don't know how that woman's put up with me. And you get into that and it's harsh. And so you come to a place where you go, listen, Jesus has redeemed us from that. We don't have to be that. We don't have to be these people who are keeping track of things and keeping track of people and wondering what they're gonna do. Jesus redeemed us, oh, and how did he redeem us? Listen, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Verse 13, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And that's the last of his Old Testament passages. He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 21. When they would execute somebody, listen, the Jews didn't execute people by hanging them on a tree or by crucifixion. How did they execute people? By stoning them. And when they stoned them, though, listen, after they stoned them, they would hang them on a tree for complete humiliation so everybody would know that person is cursed. That person didn't die naturally, they're cursed. Now you need to understand something. They didn't become cursed by hanging on a tree they were hung on a tree because they were already cursed. Jesus didn't become a curse by crucifixion. He already took our sins and was crucified for them. We need to understand that. He redeemed us and he was cursed because he hung on a tree and, and he's letting us know. Now, I don't know about you guys, but that has to be some of the greatest news ever. He took our sin, he took our punishment, he redeemed us, and, and everybody knew that, and then it gets better. Listen, he was, everyone is cursed who, uh, hang, who hangs on a tree that, verse 14, the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. 
Woo! Not through works. And you know what? There's a whole bunch of people in the 21st century who will try and convince you the only way you're gonna get the Spirit is by works. Visit some churches. Well, don't. If you've been around Christianity any length of time, there are people who say, you will only get the Spirit if you do, and they have a list. That's works. What does this say? Jesus became a curse for us and redeemed us so that we can have the blessing of Abraham and have the Spirit by faith. Saints, faith and works never go together. You can't combine the two. It's by faith. Everything we get from the Lord is by faith. Our walk with him is by faith. Knowing that we're gonna be saved is by faith. And we trust him and we believe him. You know, we, we, we taught this last night and somebody came up to me and, and I felt so bad for them because they had been taught that they had to have enough faith and they felt like they didn't have enough faith. And part of it was an illness that they're dealing with, a long-term illness, and somebody told them, if you had enough faith, you wouldn't have that illness. And then I'm up here talking about walking by faith and it crushed her. And she came to me and says, I don't understand. And I said, well, the other person lied to you. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, do you have faith in Jesus Christ? Do you have faith that his work on the cross is sufficient? Do you have faith that he will never leave you or forsake you? Do you have faith that he is going to get you into eternity by his blood? That is true biblical faith. And by faith, we receive the Spirit and understand His Spirit is in us, working through us. And so Paul here, man, I, I believe, listen, I believe he's kind of run over the top of these guys, like, and he's like, you know, there, but he's not done yet. You see, because they brought up Abraham. Here's the thing. You don't want to bring up certain things with certain, quote, theologians, because they're going to eat your lunch. And Paul says, you guys, brought up, you guys brought up Abraham. So you brought up Abraham. I've already talked about our blessing. Our, our blessings come through uh, faith by, by believing. And the same as we're blessed with believing Abraham. Now I've given you the Old Testament proof of what I'm saying is true about the law. So let's talk about Abraham. I love this, man. It's kind of like this. I, I can see him kind of getting a grin. You want to talk about Abraham? Let's talk about Abraham. Let's do this. And I don't know about you guys, but even if I didn't believe something Paul said, I wouldn't want to debate him and tell him he's wrong. So he says, okay, let's talk about Abraham. Brethren, look at verse 15. Again, brethren, I speak in the manner of men. Though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is, uh, if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. So here's what he's saying. He's gonna bring up Abraham, but here's what he's saying. Let's talk about Covenants. And here's what we know in his generation more than our generation. Once you made a will or a testament and you died, that was it. I know, in our, you know, it's kind of hard to press that in our culture because then it goes into litigation and people contest it and all of those things and it gets a little crazy. But the will stands. Here's what he's saying, man. You make a last will, you make a covenant, and a covenant is confirmed. That's it. It doesn't change. And they knew that, 
Paul knew that, and I can kind of see these guys going, amen, yes. Because usually we like it when somebody's saying something we agree with till they use that to beat us over the head with. So they're kind of digging, yeah, that's right, we agree, because they're thinking, listen, they're thinking the Mosaic covenant, he's going all the way back, he's saying, okay, we, we agree on the covenant. Once it's, and, and remember this, once it's set, it's set, it doesn't change. Now, he says, verse 16, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. Now he's going, hey, there were promises made to Abraham and his seed. And he's gonna explain that in a moment, but before we go there, I want us to understand God made a covenant with Abraham. A lot of us are familiar, if you're doing your Bible reading, we, we just went through that. And you're, a lot of us I know are familiar with the whole story of Abraham. But you know, if you're not, read Abraham, or read Abraham. Is there, what book is that? So read Genesis. Sound like I'm building my own cult. Read Genesis chapter 12, chapter 15, and chapter 17. That's easy homework. I'm not making you read all the stuff in between. Just read those if you're not familiar with the Abrahamic covenant and what God did. And remember, God took him. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. God took him out, and he says, hey, Abraham. Remember, Abraham was pouting. I love that. You know, some of us don't read it that way. But remember, he was pouting. He was like kicking the dirt. God says, what's up? I'm mad. Why are you mad, Abe? Because I have nothing, nothing. Well, you got some stuff, Abe. You just did the whole thing with, with Sodom or with a, a rescuing Lot and you know, all of that was for, I don't care. I don't care about any of that. Nothing's worth nothing. I don't have, I don't have an heir. I just got this Eleazar. Everything's gonna go to him. He's kind of pouting. And do you remember that scene? And some of you are going, that's not how it reads in my Bible. That's exactly what he was doing. I don't care how it reads. That's what he was doing. And God says, go outside. Don't you love how gracious God is? Go outside, Abraham, and look up at the stars. And he looked up at the stars and he said, can you count those? And it's kind of like, God, you know I can't count those. And he goes, that's going to be your descendants. Those are gonna come from you. And then Abraham does the classic. How do I know that? Can I trust you? And I love it because we, some of us don't understand, but God said, okay, go get a bull, get some turtle doves, and start cutting them in half. Hey, the minute the Lord told him that, Abraham knew what they were doing. That's the way they did a covenant, a contract in the Old Testament. You would take animals, you would cut them in half, lay them apart, and then you and the person you were making a contract with would walk between the two halves of animals and you would say, if I break this covenant, may I be like these animals. That was, that's where we got, hey, that's where the whole term cutting a contract came from. They literally cut a contract. And they would do that. So remember, he said, go get those animals. Remember that scene? And he cuts them in half, and then all day long, he's wait. what is he waiting for? He's waiting for God. If we're gonna make this, you need to come and make it with me. And he's chasing the birds away and stuff, and it always cracks me up. There's people who get off on a tangent. He was having to chase birds away. You know what birds represent? No, I don't. I think he was just chasing birds away. He was trying to protect it. And, and so he's chasing these things away, and then... Remember, God kind of like went poof and knocked him out. And he went to sleep and it says, then a smoking pot went through the animal parts. 
Do you know what that means? It means God made a covenant with Abraham that depended on God and nothing on Abraham. We call that an unconditional covenant. Read what he said to Abraham as you read those. Underline all the I wills that God says to Abraham. I will, I will, I will. And then read, hey, then read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and all you hear is you will, you will, you will, you will. Which one of those do you want to follow? So he made this contract, and he blessed Abraham and his seed, and that's where we left off. So we're all caught up now, right? We understand what's going on. God made a covenant with Abraham to bless him and his seed, and then he goes on to say, uh, Paul goes on to say, he does not, in the middle of verse 16, does not say in seeds as of many, but as for one and your seed who is in Christ, or who is Christ. So here's what's going on. God made a contract, an unconditional covenant with Abraham to bless him and his seed, skipping all of that other stuff, his seed, Christ. And it says, we read a few weeks ago, and Abraham believed God, and God counted that as righteousness. You know how Abraham was saved? By faith. He wasn't saved by keeping any law. He was saved by trusting God. You know how every single Old Testament saint is saved? By faith, not by keeping the law. He's just said no one's gonna do that. It's impossible for man to do that. Everyone who is going to heaven from the very beginning is going to be in heaven because they're trusting God and they're going to heaven because you're saved through faith by grace, period. There's no other way to salvation. The law was never given to save people. It was given to guide people, and I think that's important we understand. And, and next week we're gonna look, so you have to come back next week. We're really gonna look at some of the intention of the law. But keep that in mind, man. The law was not given to save. Abraham was saved by believing God, and he was looking forward to what? The seed, to looking forward to Christ. Go back, go back to the garden. Remember when Eve blew it? We talked about that last week. And God said, what are you two up to? Remember Adam and Eve hid from God. That always cracks me up. I love reading that part. They're like hiding from God. And God says, you can't hide from me. What are you doing? And remember he says, Adam, where are you? He wasn't saying, where are you physically? I lost you. He's saying, where are you spiritually? What have you just done? And you, we, all of us know his answer, right? It was a woman you gave me. Blaming the woman and ultimately God, right? It was the woman you gave me. And the woman said, it was the serpent. And the serpent stuck. But remember when God cursed him, he says, I'm gonna put enmity between her seed, singular, and your seed, meaning Christ. So here we're pointing to Christ. So every time, listen, he's pointing to Christ and he's letting him know, hey, this is where the promise was going. And then verse 17 says, and this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot 
annul the covenant that was confirmed before God in Christ that it should make the promise of no effect. Do you understand what he's saying? He's saying there was a covenant made before the law was ever given. And that covenant is not annulled by the law given 430 years. Now, here's the crazy thing. There's people that want to argue this time frame that Paul uses, the 430 years. Well, you know that's not accurate, you know. And, and you know, here's the thing. Man, sometimes I read commentaries and I think, really? Really, that's what you're going to argue about? Like, Paul really messed up. Well, number one, I don't think Paul messes up. I don't think the Bible messes up. I don't think there's mistakes in the Bible. I don't think it was like a misprint or whatever term you want to use. And I know, I know what they're saying about the math because it gets a little sketchy. So I'm going to leave it at that. I'm not going to chase that rabbit trail. You know, sometimes, you know, do you ever chase rabbit trails when you're studying like I remember, especially when I was in Bible college, I would start studying something and I'm, I'm trying to work on a paper and I would read something and I'd go, well, that's interesting. And I'd go get one book and then I'd go get another book and then and pretty soon I got like eight books open and I'm trying to trace this thing. And I had a good friend that would always come by and go, Pat, quit chasing rabbit trails and get back to work. And you can chase that. Listen, people chase that and here's what they miss. If you get hung up on that, here's what you're gonna miss. That the covenant made with Abraham is not annulled by the covenant made through Moses. That covenant does not annul the other one, why? Because that covenant was unconditional and it was confirmed and yet it's unchangeable. Keep that in your mind. And the covenant made through Moses is conditional. You have to do certain things in order to verify that covenant. The other one you didn't. So he's saying, hey, think about this. Here's what he's saying. Put on your little legal hats and think about what I'm saying. The law does not nullify the covenant that was made with Abraham. And it was given so many years before. And you need to understand, listen, man, if Abraham was saved, how could he be saved if you're saved through the law? How could anybody be saved until the law came? And kind of the same thing today. How could anybody be saved if, 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 you know, if it had to be after Christ? People were saved before Christ by believing the Messiah would come. We're saved after Christ by believing that Jesus died. We look back, they look forward. And he's saying that did not nullify, that covenant was not nullified by the law, period. It doesn't happen. The law, listen, the law was not given for that purpose. And you need to understand, man cannot perfectly keep the law. But God can perfectly keep his promise. And that's his point. God made a promise through Abraham. And God is not gonna give up. Oh, and then he kind of wraps this part up with, for if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. The law was not, listen, the law was not given by promise. So some of us are saying right now, so what is the purpose of the law? Can I just read up to Genesis 17 or the end of, I'm, uh, the end of Genesis and then just jump and miss all that other stuff? Well, yeah, technically you could, but you're gonna learn a lot about God through that other stuff. It's gonna show us his character and his person and etc. But it's not a list of rules to follow. We don't read 
We don't read that to follow. I, I don't know about you guys, but I don't have all those laws memorized. Like I think we're breaking some right now that we don't even know. We break them every day. And so are you gonna go with faith or are you gonna go with the law? And as I said, we have to be careful. Most of us are not, most of us are not like really trying to keep Old Testament things. I understand that. Some of you are sitting there going, dude, I don't, I don't even do that. But then as I said, we make up our own little laws and our own list. And we need to stop it. We need to stop judging people by our little lists that we make up. You know, sometimes we get notes in the agape boxes. By the way, if your note's not signed, and it's to me, I never see it. Not my fault. The counters, or I told last night, I told everybody, blame Pastor Jack. Because <laughs> he's easy. You can drive the bus over him, back up, and drive it over him again, and he's fine. But I don't see him because here's the thing. If you're not going to sign it, how am I going to discuss the issue with you? Because I don't know who it is. I'm surely not going to get up here. Hey, I got this note. Would you please stand up? So hey, if you want to discuss something, give us, give us the information. We're not above discussing things. We will discuss things. But generally, it's over these little nitpicky things, little silly things. And, and here's, here's what I think. I think it's just about the law. You like made up your own little law and you don't like it because we didn't do it. And your law, by the way, has no scriptural background. You just thought, I like this better, so I made a law. Saints, if you're upset about something, bring your Bible, bring your scripture, and let's discuss it. But greater than that, let's don't be legalist. Many people tell me they get upset because they believe that Christianity, believing in Jesus is exclusive. Well, in some ways they're right, but it's completely inclusive because everybody's invited. Everybody's invited. There's nobody that's not invited. It's not like you have to be this or this or this to be invited. And I, when people tell me that, I go, well, you're invited. Except Jesus right now. I don't want to. Why don't you want to? Because I don't. Okay, well then, you're not part of us. Well, I want to be. Well, if you want to be, you need to come to Jesus. Well, I don't want to do that. Well, then you're not part of us. And I don't give them a list of rules. And you know, one of the worst things that we can do is tell people to clean up their lives to come to Jesus. Jesus will take care of them. He's good at that. And most of us look in the mirror and say, amen, right? He's really good at cleaning. So, saints, let's be careful. And let's keep in mind, you will never, ever, ever, ever keep the law perfectly. But, and here's the big but, Jesus keeps his promises perfectly. And we can count on that. Let's stand up and pray. Father, as we get ready to close and we think about your word and Lord, we just think of the, the challenge and what we read and God, it is easy for us to fall into legalism. 
it's easy for us to get into a place where we have our, our rules, our regulations of what it means to, to be saved. And I pray, God, I pray that as we leave here today that we would listen to you and allow you to search our hearts and allow you to get rid of the junk that doesn't need to be in there and allow the spirit free reign in our lives that we would open ourselves up to be used by you. So Lord, here we are, we're kind of a ragtag group from a bunch of different places in life, a bunch of different walks, and we're coming to you, and we're asking you to be glorified in our lives. And I'm gonna ask you to stay in an attitude of prayer for a couple more minutes, and if you are here today and, and you've never actually realized that you're redeemed by Christ, that he took the curse that you deserve and he took it upon himself, then man, today's the perfect day for you to be here. If you want that relationship with Jesus, if you want to be forgiven for your sins, and even greater than that, to be set free from the bondage of sin, then you need to call on the name of the Lord. That's what the Bible says. And what the Bible means by that is you need to just let Jesus know you want a relationship with him. And that's gonna begin by first and foremost, you letting Jesus know that you know you're a sinner. That should not be hard. The Bible says everyone has sinned. We should be able to admit that. And you come to him and you let him know, yes, I've sinned. And then you ask him to forgive your sins. And every time Jesus will say yes, why? He went to the cross for you. He died a physical death, he died a spiritual death, and he paid all of that that you owe for your sin, and he paid it and he took it upon himself, and now he's saying, you can be set free because I took care of that. So call on his name. If you're, listen, if you're here today and you're backslidden, call on his name and come home, come back to Jesus. If you're watching online and you're, you're sitting there in your living room and you're, you're, you know, you even got, still got your PJs on, call on the name of the Lord. You don't have to be in this building. He can hear you. So say this prayer with me. You can say it out loud. You can say it silently, but it needs to be sincere. It needs to come from your heart. Jesus, this morning, I confess to you that I am a sinner. And I'm sorry that I sinned against you, God. And right now I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you today for your forgiveness. And right now, I want you to come into my heart and change me. Jesus, come into my life and guide me. 
today, I'm asking you to be my Lord and my Savior.